you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com slash events. Let me know whenever you're ready. <clears throat> if you look at her birth certificate, the woman's name is Rosa Elvia Nunez Bastida Salcido. But that's not how she got her name. Rosalvia grew up destitute on a tiny rancho in the Mexican state of Sinaloa. She was one of nine children born to a tall Viking-looking man named Jose and a tiny Havnawa woman named Loreto. The mestizo is wild. Most of Rosalvia's siblings were born with brown skin and features like their indigenous mother. But Rosalvia was born with white skin, earning herself a bunch of nicknames. Her family and friends all called her Gila after one Christmas when a light-skinned girl played a character named La Gila in a religious pageant that toured through the tiny village. Since her family was so poor, Rosalvia did odd jobs around the village, like carrying buckets of water for miles from the wells to houses. The people of the town came to know her as La Huera. Right before her first year of high school, Rosalvia left for Culiacán, the state capital, to work full-time. She stayed with the relatives and worked as a street food vendor in restaurants, other odd jobs to send money back to her ranchito. When she was 17, she was selling tortas near the university when she met a city boy named Manuel. She fell in love, had a little baby, and still everyone around Rosalvia called her Huera or Gila. To give her son a better life, Rosalvia made the decision to cross the border and find work in Los Angeles. She sent the baby to America ahead of time with her boyfriend's relatives. Then Rosalvia scaled fences, narrowly avoided getting beat by robbers, and walked all night through the San Isidro Mountains to just outside San Diego. There, a packed van took her to southeast Los Angeles, where her baby was waiting with her future sister-in-law, a woman named Lydia. In Sela, she greeted her baby boy, sat down, and took her battered shoes off. Rosalvia's feet were covered in thorns from the walk. What's your name? Lydia asked. She looked at her thorny feet and said, Rosalvia, but everyone calls me. Lydia stopped her. Rosa's too common, but Elvia's a pretty name. It's rare, like you. And that's how my mom got her name. I'm Eric Galindo, and this is Wild. This is Wild, a show about what it's like to grow up during the pandemic. Season 1. Home Forever.
I'm going to play you a Twitter video that means a lot to me. It's a cell phone video, but it picks up a lot of detail. We're in a backyard decorated by light bulbs on a string. There's a table in the middle, a white folded chair in the back, a bottle of chamoy in the front, and a guitar you can hear but can't quite see. And there's these mariachis just standing there with their instruments hanging at their sides as they stare at this young woman named Sarah in jeans and a pink top who is singing the hell out of a song about heartbreak, betrayal, and forgiveness. Listen to that voice. It's incredible. It's like every word is filled with devastation and release. I've heard that song before. It's called Que Me Vas a Dar, and it was made famous by the late, great Jenny Rivera. It's not just Sarah's voice that gets to me either, but I mean, damn. Respect to the Mariposa del Barrio, but for me, this forever will be Sarah's song. Because ultimately, there's a story behind the video that makes me feel weightless in the best way possible every time I hear Sarah sing it. Here she is singing it with the full band behind her. The thing about Sarah's song is that it came at a time when I really needed to feel lighter because I was tired of carrying all this shit by myself. The pandemic wall was bearing down on me, and the civil rights reckoning that was happening after a cop murdered George Floyd seemed like a losing battle. Black and brown people were getting killed by police at alarming rates, and frankly, I was tired of being asked to write about race in America. And sass. There was Sarah, singing her heart out on video and telling her story in a Twitter thread. I would get a lot of negative comments and racist remarks and messages. And it's just funny to me because those people, in one way or another, they made my video go viral. So That's Sarah Palafox, a.k.a. Sara La Morena, a Black Mexican singer whose video and thread about racism in the banda world hit 4.5 million views. And that's not even the whole story behind it. When I sent the video to one of the producers on the show, Shakamali, his reaction was like, uh, I was uh, fascinated because it's, it's not a rare story. Um, I think a lot of Black women go through what she's been through in some capacity at some point in their life, but it is still a triumphant story, and she's easy to root for. And uh, I felt connected immediately to that. The thing about Sarah... She's not only a woman in a dominantly male industry, but she's a mother who had a baby during the pandemic, who struggled her whole life to be seen in the way she saw herself, and who finally came to terms with a lot of that while stuck in bed at a hospital during a civil uprising. I appreciate Shaka's reaction to Sarah, the instant connection he felt. What makes us who we are? Is it what people see initially, or is it how we feel about ourselves? During the pandemic, I spent a lot of time soul-searching. It was virtually impossible not to. Things like race, mental health, 
which side of the proverbial line you fall on, were all overarching themes of last year. But what if you've been asking yourself those questions for a lifetime? Do you already have an elevator pitch, armed and ready for people? Growing up, I mean, I got asked every single day, like, every day at the store, at anywhere I was at, like, oh my God, like, how do you speak Spanish? I would just make stuff up like, oh, I'm from the Dominican Republic, because then people would stop asking questions. I would say, you know, like, well, I'm Mexican and I wouldn't want to go into detail about it. I feel like now I'm just more proud to tell my story and to tell people where I come from and who I am. I was born to a Black family and they just were not in a place to take care of me. And so they gave me up for adoption and... I got adopted by a Mexican family and they raised me in the Mexican culture. And that's that's how I speak Spanish and, you know, seeing Spanish and all that. Sarah was born in the United States. But when her parents adopted her, they took her five siblings to Mexico and raised them there, surrounded by sounds of family and farm life. Me and my dad would get up really early. We would milk the cows, like... We, we, well, my grandparents, it's, you know, their ranch out there, so they have a ton of animals, and I just remember hearing the freaking roosters super early in the morning. And yeah, I mean, I had a lot of my cousins out there, we were all, like, about the same age, and just, I remember, like, the parties and all that. Growing up in a big family and feeling that love and that acceptance all the time, Sarah dreamt of starting her own family. When Sarah was about five years old, her family moved to L.A. And almost right away, people started judging her. I grew up in in an apartment, and and I remember the kids, we would all hang out together, and every time we played cops and robbers, I was always the robber of the the entire group of kids that we played with. It was always me. Or it was the other black boy that used to play with us. I didn't think like, wow, these little f- shits are being racist. <laughs> what the hell, you know? It all starts at home. Like, it's so sad that that's an image they had of black people because that's what they were being taught at home. Growing up, I was bullied a lot. I mean, like severely bullied. In middle school, I got jumped by a group of black kids because they felt like I was anti-black and trying to, you know, be Mexican and trying to be someone I wasn't. And my mom had to completely transfer me schools. And then I went to this new school. I didn't want to speak Spanish at all. Like, didn't want to go through the same thing. And just my issues within myself, like just not knowing who I was. And and I feel like music was the only way I could, I could sing and express exactly what I was feeling. Just like Aretha Franklin. Little Richard. Miss Tina Turner. Sarah's love for music started when she was young, 
in a space where she was fully welcome to be who she was. I remember always like humming, singing, like my brothers would tell me to shut up. And and I just remember the first times me singing on stage was at church. That's where I started. There's one in particular, um, what's it called? Mis Ojos. And it's Marcela, Marcela Gandar, I think. And I think Jesus Adrian Romero. Because, aunque mis ojos... No te puedan ver, te puedo sentir, sé que estás aquí. There's something special about singing in church. For me, the ladies in the Lord's house always made me feel like family. They were my community, a place where I belonged. The windows were murky, the pews were uncomfortable, but the music was always a vibe. Not everybody could sing, but everybody played their part. Grandmama had to drag me to church, but once they started singing, I was happy to be there. But for Sarah, it's almost like she was gifted with a superpower that helped her cope with all the questions about her identity, the bullies, and the isolation. She threw herself into music. Sarah was able to hone her talents, develop a loyal fan base in Southern California's Inland Empire, and even make it all the way to the quarterfinals of Tengo Talento, Mucho Talento which is America's Got Talent in Spanish. After decades of self-doubt about her identity, Sarah now had a firm one, recording artist. But it also put her in the spotlight. And with all the fans came the bullies, too. And soon, the challenge of a lifetime, motherhood. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events.
When I heard Sarah's talent for the first time, I thought about how transcendent she was. In my mind, I found myself pretending I was her agent, placing her on TV shows, novelas, watching her win Grammys and give inspirational speeches in both English and Spanish. She immediately made me a fan of hers. I didn't know her, but her voice made me root for her. But a rising music career wasn't enough to quiet the lifetime of wondering if she was black enough or Mexican enough. In February 2018, the not knowing was too much. There was just a lot of other things that, you know, I went through and it was years. It was years of, you know, going through that. And and then I tried to commit suicide and I overdosed. And my parents found me in time and called the ambulance. I was in a psychiatric hospital for two weeks. I was angry at my birth mom and angry that I was different and that I was bullied and all that. But I never wanted to let my parents know because I never wanted them to feel bad. Like, I never wanted them to feel like it was their fault or just... I was just sad, and but I didn't want to put that on anybody else. That weight wasn't the only weight she was carrying. Every time she thought of her future, thoughts of her past came with it. A long time ago, someone said that a lot of foster kids had the same traits as their biological parents, even if they didn't grow up around them because it was just in them. And so I remember, I, I don't know if it was a doctor or a social worker that told me, but they just said, like, your mom was a drug addict and a prostitute and this and that. And, like, you don't know if she, like, if you got that. Sarah may have had questions about her identity, but being a mother, that was real for her. It wasn't something she second-guessed until someone second-guessed it for her. After Sarah left the hospital, her conditions read epilepsy, bulimia, struggles with depression, a history that made somebody say, I wouldn't be able to get pregnant and have any kids. I've always wanted to be a mother, but I'm not going to be, and that sucks. Like... So that's what was, you know, in my head. It's like I accepted it and I kind of took it as it came. Like, I'm not going to have kids and that's okay and I'll figure things out. And boom. I found out I was pregnant. And from that moment when I found out I was pregnant, I mean, my life changed. I have to get up. Like, I got to drive careful. Like, I have to be safe. The same year Sarah tried taking her life, she gave birth to a beautiful black boy. For the first time in a while, Sarah took care of herself because it wasn't just her anymore. She woke up early. She was eating healthier. She stopped smoking. But every now and then, fear seeped in. A lot of thoughts I never thought before came to my head. Like, what if I'm a bad mom? Like, like what if I can't like take care of this baby? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. It was hard. And I suggest, you know, any woman going through that, please get help. Like, you're not crazy. No one's going to think you're crazy. Like, we all could use a little bit of help, you know? And then I got pregnant again, and my second pregnancy was really different. Sarah's second child was due in the summer of 2020. Beyond the complications of being pregnant in the pandemic, she also ran into issues with her epilepsy medicine. The meds I was taking while pregnant, they didn't work 100%, and so... The more pregnant and the bigger I got, the less the medicine started working. So my doctor sent me to the hospital to get checked. And I'm waiting at the hospital and I started seizing. 
and I started choking on my vomit because I had a mask on. And so they had to call the code team and they, it was just crazy. And I was seizing, I wasn't breathing. So they had to do an emergency C-section. On May 30th, 2020, Sarah's second child was born premature under those conditions. She was overwhelmed, stuck in the hospital. Meanwhile, outside the hospital. Hear the protesters' pain and their anger, and so did we as we marched alongside them tonight. Demonstrators gathered here in L.A. tonight, trying to draw some concerns over that death, but it too quickly got out of hand. We're standing here in front of LAPD headquarters, and you can see uh, dozens of police officers. The world was dealing with the fallout of George Floyd's murder. And my... Son was the NICU, and there were all these things going on. And I just remember, like, feeling overwhelmed. And then we had a nurse come in the room saying that, you know, the hospital's on lockdown. We couldn't leave because the protests got really, really bad right in front of the hospital. And so it wasn't until then that I was on my phone and I was looking at everything and I was just shocked and I was already so hormonal and emotional and I was crying and I was so upset and so sad. I have a two-year-old and then gave birth to my son. I just remember being in the hospital and my two-year-old was, you know, with my parents during the entire time I was at the hospital. And I just wanted to hug him, my newborn. I just wanted to hold him. Like, it broke my heart. At first, there wasn't much I could do, but then I was like, no, there's other things I can do. There's petitions, there's articles that I can put up, there's um, groups that I can put up that are accepting donations. And so that's what I did. I tried to do as much as I could from the hospital. Sarah decided right then and there to become more socially active. Like many of us, Sarah spent most of the summer after her recovery attending marches, raising awareness, and calling out racist trolls that made awful comments on her music videos. And then in September, she had enough. She posted a video on Twitter that went viral, taking her career to the next level. A star Mexican banda singer who's also a proud black woman. I've had like quite a following on Instagram for a while. Um, I had posted some of those before, but I think that when my video went viral, I mean, it was just to an extreme. Um, For me, it was just a way to like share with people what I go through and how ignorant people still are. And the point of that was just for people to really try and step in my shoes and understand what it's like when I'm just trying to do what I love and what I feel in my heart. That's who she is now. Sarah La Morena has an inherent strength of someone who has accepted who she is. Above all else, She's a mama who loves her son so deeply that she wants to change the world for them. God, I have so many goals and so many visions, but my main thing is I just want to be there for my kids. Hi, puppy. (laughs) I want them to be proud for me to be their mom. And obviously I want to 
be able to financially set them up. I want to win a Grammy. And there's a lot of people that say, you know, don't say what you want to do because mal de ojo. But no, I am manifesting this shit. Like, I'm going to win a Grammy. So that is a big goal of mine. A few months after we spoke to Sarah, she was diagnosed with cancer, and she announced it publicly. So as you listen to Sarah's voice and you dive into her music, send her and her family some love. This is going to sound wild, but I feel like I'm Sarah sometimes. And I feel like she's a lot like my mom. And I'm a lot like both of them. I just spent the better part of a lifetime not feeling like I belong anywhere. It's like, damn. I wish I could just tell people I'm from L.A., one of the most culturally diverse regions in the entire world. And it would be enough to answer the same damn question I've been asked my whole life. What are you? I'm a freckle-faced, red-headed Mexican-American from Southeast Los Angeles whose parents hail from one of the most violent, drug-controlled regions of Mexico. I started using variations of that line to introduce myself when I began my professional storytelling career. It was a defense mechanism created after a lifetime of dealing with identity issues. My 23andMe DNA map looks like Napoleon Bonaparte's plan to conquer the world. I got genetics from everywhere. It's a gift, really. But it wasn't always. I spent my childhood getting beat up and made fun of by gangsters for being too white and by bullies for being too Mexican. One particularly soul-crushing day, my dad, a brown, brilliant man, pulled me aside and explained that looking like a chubby leprechaun might be making my childhood hell, but eventually it would give me the chance to blend in and go places he never could because of the way he looked and spoke. But here's the thing. I don't want to blend in. I want everyone to know exactly where I come from. And I want that to be the reason I go places. Because I feel like Sarah, my mom, and I have this secret superpower. Since people had all these expectations of us because of the way we looked, we could be anything. Damn it, that's it. That's that's the show. Wherever it is you're listening to this podcast, I hope you enjoyed your stay. Review us, rate us on iTunes, share it with your friends. Tip your taqueros. Highlight. My highlight of the day was hanging out with my son and being able to just share some of my past with him. 
and experience some good music and just laugh. My favorite part of the day today was going shopping with my daughter, my redhead. She's so special, my only girl. And just spending time with her, bonding, talking, just fills my heart. Que vinieron mis nietos. Porque los quiero mucho, los disfruto cuando vienen. Por eso me sentí bien este día. I can barely take care of a dog, dude. How am I gonna do a baby? But then I was like, oh, I can have a dog and a baby and a career and I you could you could make things happen. You just it's gonna take will and hard work, but we're capable of more than we think. That's Chris Garcia, a TV writer and stand-up comic who uses humor to cope with truly heartbreaking and life-affirming moments. That's on the next episode of Wild. This episode of Wild was written and produced by Eric Galindo, Shaka Mali, Megan Tan, and me, Victoria Alejandro. It was sound designed by Lucy Guaba and mixed and engineered by Eduardo Perez. Megan Tan is our senior producer. Our producers are Victoria Alejandro and Lucy Guaba. Marina Peña is our associate producer and fact checker. Shaka Mali is an associate producer at large and our announcer. Eric Galindo is our host and editor. Jessica Pilot is our talent producer. Our executive producers are Antonia Cerejido and Leo G. Thanks to the team at SoyLaMorena.com for the assist on this episode and to our special guest appearances by Cynthia Galindo, Elvia Galindo, and Yolanda Galindo. Shout out to Marissa Clue Morataya for shooting our album art and Steve Rosa for the assist. The theme song is I Got Everything by Ms. 007. Our website, LAistStudios.com, is designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at LAist Studios. The marketing team of LAS Studios created our branding. Special thanks to the team at LAS Studios, including Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Hayford, Day Kim, Kristen Muller, and Leo G. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Woo! I nailed it. I think this is Eric G. I'll catch you next time. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.